I'm your host, Gerhard Lazi, and you're listening to Ship It, a podcast about getting your best ideas into the world and seeing what happens. We talk about code, ops, infrastructure, and the people that make it happen. Yes, we focus on the people, because everything else is transient and cyclical. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Sam Alba, Docker's first employee, and Solomon Hikes, the Docker co-founder. Together with Andrea Luzardi, they are the creators of Dagger, a universal deployment engine that trades YAML for Q and uses BuildKit as the runtime. Why? Because we should stop rewriting the same application deployment logic in scripts, make files, or continuous delivery configuration. That's right. This is the YAML vaccine that we have all been waiting for. Big thanks to our partners Fastly, LaunchDarkly, and Linode. Thank you for the great bandwidth, Fastly. You can learn more at fastly.com. Ship new features with confidence by getting your feature flags powered by launchdarkly.com. And thank you, Linode, for keeping our Kubernetes fast and simple. You can run our infrastructure as we do via linode.com forward slash changelog. This episode is brought to you by PlanetScale, the database for developers. PlanetScale is the only serverless database platform. You can start an instant and scale indefinitely with unlimited connections. The premise is simple. Never think about database servers again. The PlanetScale platform is based on MySQL and Vitesse, which powers Slack, Square, GitHub, YouTube, and more. Everything you want to control is available through the beautifully designed PlanetScale CLI, including their data branching feature, which is the first MySQL platform to allow you to create non-blocking schema changes and integrate your schema changes with your CI-CD processes. PlanetScale is the last database you'll ever need. Learn more and start your database in seconds at PlanetScale.com. Again, PlanetScale.com. So I've heard of this new tool called Dagger a few months back and I signed up and some weeks later I got the invite and it took me a while to look at it properly but when I did I really wanted to share the conversation with the people behind it because it felt special. So I would like to start by thanking you for making time, Sam and Solomon, to join me today. And uh, we would have had Andrea as well, but unfortunately he's not feeling well. So get better, Andrea, and maybe it'll happen next time, all four of us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So I've learned so much about Dagger in the last few weeks, actually. But what I don't know, and I'm sure that other people would really enjoy learning more about, is how did the Dagger idea start, Sam? Yeah, it starts a while back, actually. So we spent a few years at Docker, all of us, and Solomon was the founder, and we worked for many years for, you know, for Docker and to make Docker successful. And around 2018, we all decided to do something different in our life. It took us a while to realize that the most important thing for us was to actually work together. So that was the initial goal before starting the Dagger project. It was about starting a company to work together on something that matters to us. So we did that uh, at the end of 2018, went through IC, participated to the, the batch Winter 19. Solomon was actually a partner. He can share more about that experience. And we spent 
all of this time talking to people and learning about their problems. We interviewed a lot of different companies. And what we learned along the way was all companies, small, medium, and large, are building an internal platform for application delivery. Sometimes they call it CICD, you know, CICD pipeline, internal platform, whatever is the term, but it's always the same thing. And what we realized is in building this, they, they were missing something in the middle that is still missing, actually, because Dagger is not well known yet. <laughs> and this missing thing is a way to program everything they have to do in order to bring a code locally all the way to like, dev staging and production. Mm. This is what we are trying to achieve right now with Dagger, is a programmable environment for developers to develop their internal mm. platform. So how do you see Solomon Dagger fitting in this landscape where the companies are struggling to find solutions and some of them succeed, but maybe it's not what they expected. Maybe it takes too long. How do you see Dagger fitting in this landscape? I think actually companies looking to build a CI/CD system to build a delivery platform, they find tons of solutions and that's sort of the problem. They end up with too many solutions, different teams using different solutions, different teams deploying differently multiple CI systems kind of mm. coexisting front-end teams, back-end teams, machine learning teams, infrastructure teams, all have their favorite tools and systems. And there's just so much offering. There's a new startup every day mm. coming out, you know, with a new infrastructure management tool or, or CI pipeline tool. There's just so many. And so there's tons of great tools and systems out there, but the experience of using them is very fragmented. So where we fit in is we, we try, we aspire to solve this fragmentation problem by unifying what you already have into a cohesive platform. So that's, that's where we fit in. I like that you are talking a lot about applications and about application delivery and not about infrastructure, which I find interesting. Why is that? Why are you thinking about applications and not about infrastructure? It's actually, uh, the answer can be, can take a long time as my, my point. We could talk only about that point, actually. The interesting thing, I mean, my opinion is the infrastructure is seen differently from different people. What I think is the infrastructure is a dependency to delivering the application. And it should be considered that way. We shouldn't see the infrastructure as its own thing. Mm -hmm. Seeing the infrastructure as a dependency uh, drives you to make the right decisions because it, it serves a purpose. And mm. the purpose is delivering your application in a secure way for your application to run reliably and be redundant and et cetera. We know all the best practices. Yeah, yeah. I think in the infrastructure yeah. is a relative term, right? Infrastructure as a term, it only makes sense relative to something above it. It's the infrastructure for something because mm. it's above, it's sorry, it's below something. You know, it's the structure below, but below what? Mm -hmm. In our case, it's below the application. Yeah. You know, outside of that context is just, you know, structure, <laughs> I guess. So from our perspective, the goal is to deliver your application. And it's a very complex application now because it's the cloud and things are complicated. And it's got dependencies, like Sam said. Mm -hmm. And some of those dependencies are things that you, the application team, cannot change. They're there and you can use them, but you can't change them. And that's the infrastructure. That line between the stuff you can change that you want to deliver and update and push and all that above, that's the application and below the mm -hmm. things that you can't change, but you need, that's the infrastructure. Different groups of people will place that line in different places. And also the line will move over time. You know, containers, when we started with, with Docker mm -hmm. and all that container thing, 
infrastructure was either bare metal servers or VMs. Containers mm -hmm. were not available to most teams as an infrastructure component. And so containers were something that the developers set up. Containers were a way to escape, to move stuff up, you know, to escape the constraints of existing infrastructure that IT would typically lock down too much. And, mm -hmm. you know, for example, if as a developer, if I want to install a new package for image processing or something, then I have to ask permission for the sysadmin and maybe it's available, maybe it's not. Maybe the version they install is not the branch I want. It's just whatever the Linux distribution, whatever RHEL has. And so that's just a pain to developers. And so containers started out as a tool above the infrastructure line. And then fast forward five years, the infrastructure industry leveraged containers as a new means of delivering infrastructure. And so now it's largely below the line. And so, yeah, the point is the line moves over time. Exactly the line. I was just going to say that I've heard many people talk about the value line and how the value line is moving. And when you have a PaaS versus an IaaS, the value line shifts and then the API changes. So the primitives, the building blocks are a higher level. If you use those higher level building blocks successfully, you can do a lot more quicker and then you can standardize and then you have economies of scale and a bunch of things come into play, which don't when you are talking VMs and bare metals and so on and so forth. The truth is that we have all those building blocks and there's so many these days, including containers, Thank you, Solomon. <laughs> so now the choice is even more difficult of, well, what do I choose? And then you have serverless and you have monoliths. So application, what does application mean to you? Because it's not a monolith. It's not like my container, is it? It's more than that. How do you think about application, Sam? So what I saw in the past few years is a lot of people try to take their own specification of their application as it is internally in their company and try to make a standard with it. You know, we saw a lot a lot of different initiatives, including inside Docker, you know, we thought at some point, like, is the application your compost file or your Docker file or, you know, how could it be specced? And so we saw a lot of different application formats out there. What I think now, after spending some time talking to companies and working on a lot of different implementation of internal application delivery, is that the application format should be considered as everything needed to deploy this application. Mm -hmm. Basically, everything you, you need to do in order to take this code, build it, test it, publish it, even including continuous deployment tasks like canary deployments, A-B testing, all of that. All of this, I think, is part of the application. And this application exists only in the context of a deployment. Otherwise, the application doesn't, doesn't make any sense, right? Same thing on, on your iPhone. It's easier to think about what is an application on your phone, although until you've put your credit card on the App Store and, and installed some application, it's still an application deployment. Mm -hmm. And so I think the same thing applies for any type of application out there. So to talk a bit more about those formats that were out there so far, I think they can be useful for some companies internally, like an application for us is a set of services, a, a Git repository, all of that. But this format is not portable. Only what can be ported is the way to deliver this application, which is really what Dagger is, is solving today. So my understanding is that what Docker did for packaging code is what Dagger wants to do for application delivery. Is that a correct summary, Solomon? Would you agree with that? 
In one dimension, yes. I mean, there's major differences, but there was something we were trying to do when we worked on Docker and there were multiple opportunities and we had to choose one. And, you know, Docker made a choice to focus on being a next generation runtime for, for applications, right? It's a new way to a specific build artifact, a specific runtime, and it has advantages over existing runtimes, high level language runtimes and high level paths building your own on top of a VM, you know, containers hit that sweet spot. And so with Docker, we, we had no choice but to follow the market, what the market wanted out of Docker. That was a new kind of runtime. And that eventually became an infrastructure concern. But what we worked on that led us to Docker initially was a different goal. We were trying to standardize, you know, we were trying to unify the industry around something, anything, so that we could all leverage at least one thing that we all had in common. But it turns out once you enter the, the arena as one possible runtime, you can win or lose in that arena. You can be very, very successful. And I think Docker as a runtime was very successful, even more successful if you include the clones and forks, etc. But it was not ubiquitous and it can't because fragmentation is inevitable. And so... What we realized this time around is if we want to actually contribute something that can truly be ubiquitous, you know, that anyone can use regardless of their choice of runtime and infrastructure and language and anything, then you have to give up on also wanting to be the runtime for the application. You have to choose. That's why, you know, Sam mentioned all these application standards and Docker Compose, there's CNAB, which is my understanding is it's kind of taking that model and trying to make it a ubiquitous standard, it will never be because it can't, because it includes strong assumptions about what an application should look like. It gives one answer to the question, where is the line? Where is the line between application and infrastructure? What's the shape of the line? You know, how do you connect the two? That's an answer. And so if you're rooting for that standard, that implementation, you're rooting for everyone to adopt that answer. What we're doing is we're rooting for everyone to define their own answer. You know, the answer to where's the line between application and infrastructure and how do you connect them? It will be a different answer for each software team, we believe. There'll be patterns, you know, commonalities, you know, that will come and go. But yeah, your, your delivery platform, the way you connect application and infrastructure, if you're a software-enabled business, it's strategic. You know, it's, it's unique to your application. And if your platform is generic, then that means your application is generic. It's not a realistic goal. So our goal is to, to answer your question, we're kind of picking up an original goal that we had while we worked at Docker that we had to abandon. Uh, and then we're trying to achieve it in a different way by saying, we're not going to run your application. We're not going to tell you how to run your application. You tell us how you want to run it and how you want to deploy it. And Dagger can help you. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb. Honeycomb is built on the belief that there's a more efficient way to understand exactly what is happening in production right now. When production is running slow, it's hard to know exactly where problems originate. Is it your application code, your users, or the underlying systems? Teams who don't use Honeycomb scroll through endless dashboards guessing at what they mean. They deal with alert floods, guessing which ones matter, and go from tool to tool to tool, guessing at how the puzzle pieces all fit together. It's this context switching and tool sprawl that is slowly killing your teams and your business. With Honeycomb, you get a fast, unified, and clear understanding of the one thing driving your business, production. 
Honeycomb quickly shows you the correct source of issues, discover hidden problems, even in the most complex stacks, understand why your app feels slow to only some users. With Honeycomb, you guess less and know more. Join the swarm and try Honeycomb free today at honeycomb.io slash changelog. Again, honeycomb.io slash changelog. And by our friends at Fire Hydrant. Fire Hydrant is the reliability platform for teams of all sizes. With Fire Hydrant, teams achieve reliability at scale by enabling speed and consistency from your service deployment to an unexpected outage. When your team learns from an incident, you can codify those learnings into repeatable automated runbooks. These runbooks can create a Slack incident channel, notify particular team members, create tickets, schedule a Zoom meeting, execute a script, or send a webhook. For example, your app goes down, an alert gets sent to a specific Slack channel, which can then be turned into an incident. That will trigger a workflow you define in a runbook. A pin message inside Slack will show off all the details, the Jira ticket, the Clubhouse ticket, the Zoom meeting, and all of this is contained in your dedicated incident channel everyone on the team pays attention to. Spend less time thinking about what to do next and get to work actually resolving the issue faster. What would normally be multiple manual tasks across the entire spectrum of responding to an incident can be automated in every way with Fire Hydrant. Give them a try for free for 14 days, get access to every feature, no credit card required. Get started at firehydrant.io. Again, firehydrant.io. What you just told me makes a lot of sense. And the reason why it makes a lot of sense is because having spent a really long time in this space, I can see it. But what I don't know is how exactly does the solution that Dagger proposes actually work? So how do teams and application developers declare in Dagger what their application delivery flow looks like? How do they do that? So I'll start with Sorry, this one. Um, I have to do it. Well, first of all, we... <laughs> <laughs> no, let's right, start again then. <laughs> Sorry. So we use a, a config language that you know, and you probably mentioned already in the podcast. I'm not sure. It's Q. I think you talked to Marcel, I think, right? You interviewed him. Yes. So people who are familiar with the, the show uh, know the language already, which is good to for Dagger, to be honest, because the language is not well known yet. And so it will help as the language progresses for onboarding with Dagger. So just to add a little bit yeah. uh, clarifying piece, this is Go Time episode 163. Okay. Q, configuration superpowers for everyone. By the way, that's the reference. That's the exact episode that you can go to and listen to to hear more about Q. So Q is one of the building blocks of Dagger. Yes, and so Q provides very compelling and powerful configuration language that platform engineers or application developers, I mentioned several roles because it's always someone different in a company who does take care of the, the CI/CD pipeline and the, the internal platform by extension. And so they use, they use Q to declare everything that they have to do in order to take the code from the, the code repository all the way to running the code live on any environment, mm. dev staging or prod. And so Dagger right now offers through Q a way to define all of that, mm. everything. And so the way it works roughly is, um, so you use the Q language, Dagger does not change the, the Q syntax, that's very important to us. We just add the ability in a Q configuration to attach 
some steps to run and we run them inside containers and it's fully transparent for application developers. So the way it works is you define what you want to do by using packages that Dagger provides, basically, or you can write your own. What is a package, by the way? What is a package? Can you give us an example of a package? Because that's a very important concept. Yes. So Q, Q offers the, the ability to import packages, first of all, and, and Dagger piggybacks on this to provide a standard library of packages of reusable things, building blocks. And so one of these packages, for instance, is the ability to manipulate a Git repository to deal with the GitHub authentication, to integrate with Terraform, for instance, in order to you know, rely on some infrastructure definition or providing some infrastructure resources along the way. Recently, we added a package for Argo CD that was a contribution from someone in the community. The idea was to, from the, the application delivery pipeline, to generate an Argo CD configuration and call Argo CD directly from Dagger so that there is an, a reusable package now. Dagger also has the ability to define packages that you can share and import. So they don't have to be all of them to be inside the, the standard library. We only add packages that we think are generic building blocks that people can reuse. We also have packages that are cloud provider specific, GCP, AWS. Inside GCP, there is a package for GKE dealing with the authentication. Then there are generic Kubernetes clients that you can uh, reuse. And so you can import those packages and, and use them pretty much like you would do in, you know, in a programming language like Go, for instance. And then behind, once your configuration is live, there is a way to set inputs. Some of them can be secrets. For secrets, Dagger manages the encryption of secrets. And then you type Dagger up, as simple as that, and your application is live. Mm -hmm. So Dagger takes some inputs. There's also outputs, I assume. The outputs are a result of the packages running or the definitions that call packages. Would you call that a plan? Is that a plan in the Dagger language? Yeah, so the flow, the development flow that Sam described, what you're doing there is you're writing, that's when you're writing a configuration for Dagger, right? So you're telling Dagger how to deploy your stuff. And without Dagger, you would typically do that in a bunch of different places, which is one of the problems. You, you can't do it just once and then run it everywhere. You probably have to repeat and duplicate the information and fragment it. You know, if you want to deploy from your laptop, you're going to have a shell scripts, mm -hmm. Docker Compose file, maybe a make file, a custom Python script, custom Ruby scripts, a custom JavaScript script. <laughs> There's a lot of custom and reusable tools out there for deploying from your laptop. Then sometimes you're going to reuse the same scripts on a deployment server, a staging server. Maybe you'll bring it to your CI. But then what happens in your CI is your that CI wants to be CI CD because if you're only a CI, there's not enough money to be made because CI is infrastructure. A CI system is a runner for your scripts. Every time something happens on source control, a very valuable thing to do. But you know, there's like, what, 100 of them. So now what all these CI systems are doing is adding more and more sophisticated pipeline systems. And a lot of those are configurable in YAML. You know, you write a YAML description that then says, run this script and run that script and connect these things. They all have a different system. Mm -hmm but they have in common that they use YAML, which is an awful development experience. And also it's not your shell script, it's different. So now you have two things. And then what happens is your CI CD process is in place. It uses, you know, CircleCI, GitLab, GitHub, Jenkins, whatever. And it's very, you master that YAML thing 
and you update it and you add, you know, now sometimes there's reusable, sort of reusable, there's an action thing on, uh, in GitHub, for example, it's like a Docker container you can plug in. So you start kind of adding things and now all of a sudden that doesn't work in your laptop anymore, right? And also you can't just look at the code for it. You're looking at a YAML file and then that YAML file says, run this container. So you're running a container, but that's a binary thing. So then you're going to go look for, how was that container built? Oh, it's a, there's, here's the Docker file. I found it. Oh, it's a, this one is a Python thing. It uses the APIs for this particular CI system. So it's not portable, right? What if I have a different CI? Well, you got to start over, right? So you have this fragmentation problem where the actual deployment logic is split up into lots of different pieces using different languages. So you can't reason about it as a whole, number one. And each piece is tied to a specific runner, a specific piece of CI infrastructure. And so when you're writing a configuration for Dagger, you're doing the same thing once more. You're writing a configuration that describes how to deploy. But the big difference is, number one, it's a better development experience because it's a language that's better than a shell script and also better than YAML. It's sort of like the best, the best of both standard imperative programming and the best of a declarative system like YAML, right? So that's kind of, like you said, it's a building block. Number two, there's reusable packages. So if someone really smart, maybe yourself, wrote you know, a piece that you need, it could be a pattern, you know, it could be an automation, it could be integration with a tool, Terraform, as Sam mentioned, Argo CD, whatever. Over time, an ecosystem builds and you can reuse those. That seems obvious, even trivial for application developers. But as we know, and DevOps and Cloudlands, that actually does not exist, amazingly. You know, not fully. We're in the, um, the uncanny valley of delivery as code, right? It's, it kind of looks like code, almost. It makes it weird, but it's definitely not as fun to do as you know, writing all these YAML files, and templating them, and copy-pasting shell scripts is not as fun. So it's a better experience, and you can run it anywhere. So I'm going to set the bar really high now because you started it, okay? Okay. With a very high bar. So the way I hear it, is that this is the best thing possibly since Docker. <laughs> okay. That's what I hear. Because Docker changed the way we package when we run applications or even code. It doesn't have to be applications. It can be stateful stuff as well, services, whatever. So if what you're telling me is true, and I have no doubt about that, then there will be a world, maybe not too distant world, where YAML will be an artifact, an output, a byproduct, we will have a config language that has a runtime built in and has a type system built in. It has proper templating, proper secret management, all of that. It integrates with all the building blocks that we call infrastructure today so that shipping coding to anywhere, not just production, will be different. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I mean, it has the potential to be, to be that. I exactly. do think it has the potential to be wow. as you know, as impactful as Docker. Certainly, I hope we'll be the ones to deliver on that potential, but I have zero doubt that someone will. And, I, you know, I don't see why not us because we're doing it now and it's yeah. working. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it seems inevitable that it has to happen because it's, it's just too painful to keep doing things the way they're being done now. It is. I can relate to that pain. I really can. I've been feeling it for years, but there hasn't been a solution that looked like it may work. And I think Dagger is the first thing that I have seen in recent years that may just work. It's a crazy idea, very ambitious. Things can go whichever way, but the same thing was true for Docker. 
And by the way, Docker didn't start as Docker. Docker started as .cloud. And the things that followed, I don't think many people could have foretold what was going to happen. Including us. <laughs> the direction was great. Including you, exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking. So you didn't know just how big and successful it's going to be. And when Docker came along, everything changed. For application delivery, for running systems. A couple other things happened, like Kubernetes, for example. I think that was an interesting one. But the container image and the container format, and even though the runtimes changed over the years, and I know that we use Docker Compose and uh, Docker Swarm to run changelog, and then we switch to Kubernetes, and it's okay, like we like it, we like the container, we understand the value, but we still use a lot of makefile. We still write a lot of YAML, and it's okay because we've been doing it for years, but it's not great. And that's the point that you're trying to tell us, hey, there is a better way. So Q is one of those amazing things. By the way, I looked it up, configure, unify, execute. Right? So it's like in the name of the language. But I know that Dagger has also another special component, and that is not Docker, even though it makes use of Docker, it's BuildKit. So can you tell us a bit more about that relationship, Sam? Because I think that's the other big, important component in Dagger, which is BuildKit. Yeah, absolutely. So BuildKit is indeed the other part that makes Dagger very powerful. So Dagger, has, um, it's in the name, the term DAG, right, for directed acyclic uh, graph, which is pretty much the same execution flow that Makefile does, but in a, in a more, I would say, elaborated way, thanks to Q and BuildKit, actually. And so what, how Dagger works under the hood, that's really a bit technical in the sense that it doesn't have to be understood by users. Even developers, platform engineers who are developing a Dagger configuration, they don't have to understand that. Exactly like when people use Docker Build, they actually use BuildKit behind. They don't have to understand it. So same thing for Dagger. It's just that you don't have to write Docker files. You can build from your Docker files that you already have. You can actually call make if you want and include your make files or run your bash scripts if you want from your Dagger config. But the execution side of it happens within BuildKit. And Dagger calls to BuildKit directly through what's called LLB, low-level binary, which is binary of code that BuildKit implements. And so Dagger talks to BuildKit directly and generates those instructions from Q. And BuildKit offers a lot of different things. Pretty much the same thing that you, you know from Dockerfile. It's just that, in my opinion, when you write a Dockerfile and you type Docker build, you probably use less than 10% of what BuildKit can offer. And so with Dagger today, you can really step up the game by producing really fine-tuned execution from your configuration. So it's a bit abstract from when it's said like that, and, and I'm sure Solomon will explain it better than me. <laughs> I don't understand it as well. That, that frees me to explain it. <laughs> this is what I propose. I was reading a blog post from <laughs> Tony Stigi introducing BuildKit. Yep. It's from 2017, and there's a link to a talk that Tonis gave at DockerCon 2017, I believe. So I'll link it in the show notes. Watch that talk, which explains everything about BuildKit, including the LLB, how it works. There's the DAG. That's a great one to watch. If there's one thing to, to take away from our explanation of BuildKit, there's a lot to cover. But the main thing that you won't get from that presentation is that everybody else uses BuildKit to build and Dagger uses BuildKit for much more than build. And I think it was already known that BuildKit is just an incredible low-level build system. 
it's vastly superior to almost anything else out there because it's low level and it's so it's, it can focus and specialize. It's kind of like LLVM in the compiler world, very similar. But we're taking it one step further and saying it's so powerful that the name is wrong. You know, I don't know what it should be called. It's not just for builds. It's a generic virtual machine for DAG computation. And that's how we use it. And it turns out a great application, DAG computation, in other words, writing your program like a DAG and running it like a DAG is pipelines, especially when you have multiple pipelines and they're interconnected and you need data to flow through them in one direction. So anything related to CICD will always be better when you program it as a DAG. And so we leverage that. But it's a common point of confusion that we have to clear up, I think, often. It's that you know, if you dig into the internals of DAG and you see BuildKit and you think, oh, great, they have this built-in build capability, which is true. A nice side effect is anything that involves building stuff, you can leverage the Dagger APIs natively to do. You can re-implement your own Docker build natively to Dagger if you want, but it's not just build. Anyway, I'm repeating myself. Yeah, It's important. That sounds amazing. I can see how powerful that is. But the reality, at least for me, is that the implications of that is that I have to run Docker. And I uninstalled Docker on my machine about six months ago, and I don't have to update it anymore. <laughs> I don't have to worry about licensing anymore. And there's like a lot of contention around Docker recently. I sidestepped it in that I uninstalled it. I just use the runners and the CI CD systems, or, and this is something recent, I'm looking at moving my development to remote hosts where there will be Linux, there will be Docker, not a problem. So from that perspective, obviously today, Docker is a dependency of Dagger. And Dagger will not work without Docker, correct? Uh, not completely correct. You can use, if it's really important to you to use Dagger without any Docker engine, you can. Most people that we talk to choose to use it with Docker because it's just they have it. But yeah, not everyone has Docker installed and not everyone mm. must be forced to. BuildKit itself, you can run as a separate daemon. Mm, interesting. But that daemon is, is going to need to talk to something capable mm. of running OCI containers. And that something could be the Docker engine. It could be container D, which often is bundled with the Docker engine, but you can run it separately if that's your preference. I think there's calling run C directly, which is the even lower level tool. So you can get away with that. Or you can do any of those Docker engine container D <laughs> remotely. And you can even run the BuildKit daemon remotely. So these projects, BuildKit container D can be run remotely and there's well-documented methods for connecting to them and managing them remotely via SSH, for example, et cetera. So okay. Dagger supports all of that. So if, if you have your, a favorite custom BuildKit and or mm -hmm. container D infrastructure, either that you want to build or you, that you already have, you can leverage it with Dagger and it just works. Which is pretty cool. It is very cool. Yeah, it is very cool. I love that world. And I'm wondering if I was to use that option today, how, like, are there issues around, for example, volumes? Because that always used to be a problem when you would mount local volumes, or if you had like to copy lots of stuff and then the Docker daemon would be remote. That, in my experience, didn't used to work as well. But maybe there's no such thing in Dagger. Yeah, so the job of BuildKit is to, you know, you define DAGs, graphs of things to do, of operations, and then you run it. There's a beginning and an end, and then you get outputs. You provide inputs, you get outputs. Very powerful, very scalable, blah, blah, blah. But does not use or depend on the concept of Docker volume. 
This episode is brought to you by our friends at Incident.io. Every software team on the planet has to manage incidents and a very large percentage of those teams are using Slack to communicate. That includes us. With Incident.io, you can create, manage, and resolve incidents directly inside Slack. Here's how it works. Head to Incident.io and sign up for free, then add it to your Slack. From there, you have a brand new incidents channel where all incidents get announced. Use the slash incident command to create and manage incidents. This command lets you share updates, assign roles, set important links, and more, all without ever leaving the incident channel. Each incident gets their own Slack channel plus a high-res dashboard at incident.io with the entire timeline from report to resolution. Get everyone on the same page from the moment they join the incident and help stakeholders stay in the loop. Add incident IO to your Slack today and prove yourself and your team that they have everything you need to streamline your incident management. Learn more and sign up for free at incident.io. No credit card required. Again, incident.io. And by our friends at Raygun. Have you ever wondered how users are really experiencing your software? When you unlock real user insights, you'll be able to identify and resolve front-end performance issues and ensure your application is consistently delivering superior experiences. Raygun will deliver a daily performance summary to keep your finger on the pulse of your website with an overview of your slowest pages, core web vitals, user sessions, and user satisfaction. This gets sent straight to your inbox or Slack channel of your choice. Join thousands of performance-focused, customer-centric software teams who use Raygun every single day to deliver flawless experiences to their customers. Again, Raygun.com. This is something which I have to ask. I've been thinking about it for some time and I have to ask it. How is Dagger different from Terraform? Terraform is a great tool for managing your infrastructure. And Dagger is a great tool for making your CI/CD pipelines more portable so that you can deploy all the different parts of your application in the same way and deploy them from anywhere, you know, local machine, CI, other CI, etc. If your existing CI/CD pipelines mm-hmm. involve Terraform in any way, calling Terraform directly, mm-hmm. using resources provisioned by Terraform, then you should keep doing that with Dagger. Dagger will help you integrate with Terraform better if you're already using it. It does not replace Terraform. It shares some commonalities in how it works internally. You know, there's a graph, there's a declarative language, etc. So a lot of people ask, you know, because they know Terraform very well and they it's mostly a, a matter of positioning. You know, we have to be more clear in what it's for, what it's not for. But yeah, the short answer is, you know, they're related but complementary. That is a great answer. Thank you very much for that. So with that in mind, I love tools that use themselves, like dog food them, and you're basically the first users so that you can see what doesn't work. I'm a big fan of that. Does Dagger use Dagger? <laughs> in what way, Sam? Tell us about it. So it's very important to us as well, because you know, in the past in my career, I worked on some products that we were not using internally, and it's always very, very difficult to just rely on your users to get feedback. You have to use your products. Honestly, sometimes it's not possible somehow, you know, but for us, we have to, I mean, and we need to actually, Mm -hmm. because, you know, as a software company, we need, we have also problems and and needs in terms of application delivery. Mm -hmm. And so there are a few areas where we use Dagger today and few areas where we'll use Dagger even more tomorrow. The first one that comes to mind is uh, running the test entirely. So right now we, run all of our integration tests for the standard library 
which is the, the reusable packages that Dagger uh, provides. All of those tests are being run inside Dagger, which brings some advantages. Well, first of all, you have Q to define those tests. So I don't know if you used any test framework in the past, but anyway, there is always some effort to, <laughs> to implement those tests. So having Q is really handy. Mm. Then another advantage is to make, since most of your tests, I mean, all of your tests usually should run in your CI, defining all of this CI logic on your CI system is very challenging because developing your test is software development. And as any software development, it has to be maintained and evolve over time and grow. And doing that on your CI requires always very long and difficult uh, development life cycle. I don't know if you, oh, yes. you know, tried Circle CI, GitHub Action. All of them. <laughs> I know what yeah, you mean exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so replacing all of that with a dagger up so you can just develop your test locally. Hmm. And then your CI just needs to do the same as simple dagger up. So that makes your everything your CI does portable, including running your test. Then there is the deployment of our docs. There is even more that we need to move over to Dagger. Like an example right now, if people have access to the repo, they will see that we use GoReleaser to build the Go binaries. So GoReleaser is uh, nice because it can do one thing simply and well. But there are certain things you want to do in your release process that GoReleaser cannot do and that we need to do with Dagger. And so, so there is an effort in progress to move over to Dagger for that. And in that case, we'll keep using GoReleaser, right? You just wrap it in a Dagger configuration that calls GoReleaser and other things. It's just that if you only call GoReleaser for everything, then there's no point in adding the overhead of, of Dagger. That is really cool. Always the first test of a successful tool utility product does that thing use itself. And if it does, great, because you're the first one or ones to realize what isn't working. And it is in your best interest to fix it for you first and foremost, and then for everyone else, of course. So that is, I love that story. That's one of my favorite features of any product, the product using it itself. I'm glad that you mentioned the repository, Sam, because I know Dagger is still in the closed beta. So if someone wanted to start using Dagger today, how would they do that? Go to dagger.io, click uh, request access. There's a short form. If you have a use case in mind, even if you're not sure, we ask extra questions about that. We love learning about use cases, hypothetical or real. And yeah, then we send access relatively quickly. We're not actively hunting for people to join because we have a, a fairly large pool of people already testing and they have plenty of problems already. <laughs> so we're focused on fixing them. But I mean, we're very it's always excited when someone mm -hmm. joins and that's the best contribution anyone can make at the moment. It's a use case and then a little of time to try applying Dagger to the use case and to tell us how it went yeah. and especially what went wrong so we can fix it. Yes, I like that. And knowing a bit more about the story behind Docker success and how challenging that was for the team, I think that this, at least in my mind, is one of the learning that you took away from that. So rather than making it wildly popular, everybody using it, getting so much feedback that you cannot even keep up with it, is it true that this is one of the things that you're doing differently and in a way better? Mm, we actually did the same with Docker. <laughs> it didn't last as long. No, no, you're right that we, yeah, yes and no, because we, with Docker, we did focus a lot on giving early access to people even before it worked properly, even before it built. The first meetings we had privately, we, you couldn't compile it yet. And then you, it ran 
but it was fake. If you go in the history of Docker, the Docker repo, there's a file called fake.go that pretended things were happening, but they weren't. And then, you know, we basically <laughs> miniature meetup. It's crazy. Yeah. We had little private meetups at our office back when you did things in offices mm. before launching, you know, people would come in and talk about <laughs> Docker, how they would use it. But what's different is that ended pretty quickly. You know, it lasted a couple months and then boom, it was out. And we did feel like we were not ready. And so Docker was very successful. It happened for a good reason, but we did pay a price in terms of preparedness and especially on the business side, because we didn't have a plan for monetizing it, you know, and we didn't really think it through. Mm. And then we had to think it through in a very different environment where, you know, you're in a tornado and everything's happening very quickly. And the whole industry wants everything from you yeah. and you've got to decide things right away. So this time we're designing a cloud product in parallel to the open source tool we mostly talked about. And when we launch, we plan on having a complete picture on how you're going to use the open source tool, how you're going to use the cloud product, how they'll connect and how our business will be a sustainable one so that the tool can continue to exist and improve. Right? Because you don't want to be in a situation where nobody pays for it, but everybody is pissed off at you for not investing money and making it better for them. And that, which is basically what Docker had to go through, right? And then they're angry when you start charging. Why didn't you fix my Docker desktop bug? Grr. Why are you charging money for Docker desktop? Grr. Pick one. I'm just going to uninstall it. <laughs> and I install it. <laughs> no, no, it's, that's, that's not how it happened for me, but I know exactly what you mean. So I'm glad that this is one of the things that you're doing differently. It makes a lot of sense. I think it sets up Docker for success. One other takeaway from what you've just said, Solomon, is that a good idea, even if it doesn't work in practice right away, it's still a great idea. And people coming around it, that's amazing to see. People that think like you, people that see and feel the pain that you do. And I really like that about Dagger, which is what I also loved about Docker. There was a real pain, you addressed it. A couple of things you could have done better, as always, right? Even now, just a few. it will always be the case. Yeah, just a few, <laughs> right? We're downplaying it. <laughs> and I see this different approach in Dagger. And I think, again, without the benefit of hindsight of Docker, is I can see it working. I really can see it working. I know that the community is very important, essential to the success of any product. So how are you thinking about that relationship, Sam, with the community? Well, for me, the community in a project like Dagger should be seen as an extension of the team, of the internal team. It's not, you know, on some projects, you, you have some code that is open source and contributions externally that are managed on the side as a side thing, right? Side task. For us, we try to reapply what we did at, at Docker. And, and for that specifically, I think it was a success. You know, at Docker, it was really an extension of the team. And no matter where you were, an external contributor or an employee, it made no difference from a project governance point of view. You were able to open a pull request and propose something, discuss a design, propose an implementation, even participate into maintaining the project from an outside point of view without being an employee. And we applied the same thing right now on Dagger. It's not obvious because the project is still closed in closed beta, but for the people who have access to it, I think they can feel this way. Same thing for internal discussions. We have a Discord channel with public channels, and we try to discuss everything related to development on public channels. We avoid side conversations internally 
And we don't use Zoom. We use Discord and public channels for that. It's very important to involve everyone. That's what the, the community means to us. I think without this aspect, you cannot build an ecosystem, really. You cannot really involve people and have external contributors feeling important to the project. Uh, it's not something that you can fake, basically. I see it exactly the way you see it. Completely agree with everything that you've mentioned. So I'm wondering now, how can the community help you best? The mission is great. The idea is great. The way you're approaching the community is great. So how can the community reciprocate? We have a, a strong opinion on open source contribution that it, I think it's misunderstood a lot. What open source contributors are relative to a project and product attached to it. I think when you participate in an open source project, when you contribute to the code or the documentation or open an issue, any sort of contribution, that's the highest form of user engagement, right? An open source contributor is a power, power user. You know, there's users, there's power users, and then there's power users that are such power users that they actually contribute to the code and the docs of their own product. And that's like the ultimate level of achievement as a user, right? But the, the word user is super important because what got you there is using the product and liking it enough to use it more and become, you know, proficient in even how it works. And also there is something that you disliked enough about it or, you know, that was missing that motivated you to contribute. Maybe maybe the code itself, maybe just the issue describing it, you know, the, a detailed bug report. You know, there's a line you cross where you become basically the most valuable user possible and it becomes a two-way exchange. And that's just what's really unique about open source, I think. So basically everything Sam said just before, it's either you build around the community of people like that or you don't, right? Either you want it to be possible or you don't. And so with Docker, that worked really well. And so we're doing it again. So that's indirectly answering a question, which is how do you best contribute? Just use it, you know, and just keep using it. And, you know, if, if you try to use it and you fail to use it because you don't understand it or it's broken or maybe you're using it wrong, you're not sure, just... Any engagement around how you use it is automatically a contribution. You know, early in the funnel where you're not really an active user, but you're trying, that's data on how can we help you and others like you hmm. get started. Just off the top of my head, the docs are incomplete. The explanation on the website is vague and confusing. The UX is pretty terrible because it's 10 layers of iteration that we haven't had time to clean up. We know all that, but from the inside, it's like a giant pile of of work to do, you know, like a giant, an infinite pile of work to do. Mm-hmm. And every time you come in and contribute your priorities, you know, your problems, your thoughts, your suggestions, you're helping us prioritize it. And that's how we'll make progress. So it's just immensely important. That's our biggest test. Mm-hmm. There was a period at Docker where there was a lot of noise. I mean, it's still, unfortunately, it's kind of sticking in the, the history of Docker that, you know, at some point there was conflict with the community, you know. We refused pull requests and we argued with, and, you know, not a single time did that happen with actual users of our product that became power users. It was always with competitors and integrators that were not actually using our products. You know, they just wanted to build another product to get other people to use it and they wanted the code. And so that's different and it's part of the game of open source and it's normal, but that's not the priority for us. The priority is someone who's using it and using it so much that they want to help improve it. Focus is key in everything. And knowing which are the things that you don't want to do is, in my opinion, 
more important than what you want to do. So from the perspective of focus, what are the things that you're focusing on? We mentioned all the things that you would like to do, but you don't have time to do. What are the big items that you're focusing on in the next three to six months? Well, we can tell you what our internal priorities are. <laughs> and hopefully they align with the answer. If you want, yeah, I would love to that. And I'm sure all our listeners would love to hear that. Yes, please. Yeah, so we have a weekly team meeting and we talk about how everyone's doing and what everyone's doing, whether they're stuck and need help, et cetera, and then how everyone's work contributes to our priorities as a team. And then we update those as we go. Right now, we have three priorities. One is a strong and engaged core community. So we need a core group of people that consider themselves Dagger developers, and they're actively contributing to the Dagger ecosystem, right? And it's a very small one. And so the number of those people is not important. You know, that five to 10 people that are continuously engaged and don't leave. So it's not a revolving door. You know, it's five to 10 people with 100% retention, basically. You're no longer at zero. And you want to make sure they're happy and, you know, they feel really involved. So that's the first priority, the developer community. And the second is successful, we call them accounts, you know, an actual project, you know, actually doing something real with Dagger, being happy and continuing to do it. So we have lots of data, lots of people interacting with us, trying. We have some analytics, you know, and so we see activity, but activity doesn't necessarily mean a successful mm. project, right? A successful account. So that's, we want to make sure there are teams out there that are successful using Dagger and we know who they are and we understand why. <laughs> Very important. That's the second. And the third is a cloud product with a great conversion and great retention. So something we can actually sell. Mm. So that's, that's the third priority. I'm thinking of helping you with a second point in that I do see changelog, the changelog setup using mm -hmm. Dagger. I really want to try it out. I also think that I could help you with the first one, but time and priorities, you just mentioned, we all have them. So it's subject to that. And I also know that this was a tweet that went out several weeks back. I know that you're looking for people that want to join Dagger to actually work on Dagger. Yes. So which is the ideal candidate that you'd like to apply for those very, very few roles? Well, I think the, it's a tough question because everyone is different. So we don't have like a, a type of people that we can describe really well in a, in a blob of text. That said, there is this blob of text that was tweeted a few weeks ago <laughs> that explains it as much as we can. Yeah. And right now we are looking to build a small team, a small team of what we call founding engineers, a founding team, not only engineers, actually, really a founding team that can participate in making Dagger evolving, but not only making, building the company as well. Great company. And so I believe first 10 people, and I was part of them, actually, I was, I was the first engineer hired at DotCloud back then, along with few, few other people. And <laughs> yeah, and we were, you know, involved not just in building the product, but also in building the company, deciding, you know, setting the culture for the, for the next 10 after us. And so this is what stage we are in today. We're looking for people who are willing to build a product for sure. That's the first thing. Are you convinced about the problem we are solving? That's probably the very first criteria. But the second one is really, are you ready to participate in building the company mm. and everything related to that? You know, company's culture, engineering processes, you know, how you want to manage your day to day with other people. You know, that's really about building the company. It's about defining all of those things. Some of those things are defined today. 
but they are going to change and everyone participates in into that it's not the founders you know dictating how things should happen it's really a teamwork i really like the way you're thinking about this i really like the description that you put out there i know it's really difficult to capture that ideal candidate it's actually impossible to be honest because there's always uh, wild cards and curveballs but i really like the way you went about it and i wanted to mention it because it felt important and significant so now as we are wrapping up I'm wondering that as a listener, which is the most important thing for me to take away from this conversation? Solomon, would you like to start? Yeah, I think if you're involved in DevOps and CICD, life is painful, but it feels like the future is exciting and we agree. So the pain is not mandatory. It's okay to, to solve it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, we're just in a temporary state as an industry where it's very early and very broken, mm. but also very exciting. So yeah. we're, we're trying to contribute to our part in making it less painful. And we need help. I see what you mean. Yeah. How about you, Sam? Well, I totally agree with Solomon. And I will just add as an extra piece of information that although Dagger is in closed beta right now, it's pretty easy to get access to it. We watch the queue pretty carefully every day and make sure that people are not waiting too long to get access to it. So feel free to, to sign up and you'll get an access soon. And once you get access, it feels like an open community that will be widely open at some point soon, once we feel it's ready. Yeah, and then we are available to talk about your use cases. We are also, we are allocating time every week with the team. We make sure we are reactive on people's questions and in people asking help about building their internal platform as well. So we can help writing in implementing internal platforms using Dagger, giving advice and, and all of that. So feel free to join the community. Yeah. Also, if you've signed up and you're wondering why you didn't get access yet, check your spam box because <laughs> it's probably there. As for my takeaway, we missed Andrea. We hope he gets better. And I'm looking forward to all four of us getting together soon, maybe after I have set up ChangeLog running Dagger. And there will be some learnings. Ooh. Mm. I'd like the sound of that too. Yes, Solomon. Let's see if you're still happy to talk to us after that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I will. <laughs> There's something there. But uh, thank you very much for joining me. This was a great pleasure. And I look forward to next time. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Ship It. I enjoyed making it for you. This is just one of the podcasts for developers that we ship. Go to changelog.com forward slash master for the rest. You can join me and the rest of our community at changelog.com forward slash community. There are no imposters in our Slack. Everyone is welcome. Huge thanks to our partners Fastly, LaunchDarkly, and Linode. Thank you Breakmaster Cylinder for all our awesome beats. That's it for this week. See you next week.